the Anxious in Austin podcast with uh, Slitherman and Marianne Stout. We still haven't recorded a proper intro. Yeah, keep getting to record a proper um, intro. We are two psychologists in Austin working at the Anxiety Treatment Center of Austin. Um, we do cognitive behavioral therapy and other things. Um, treating anxiety disorders in OCD. And um, and today for our topic, we were we were vacillating, but we ended up picking the idea of doing. Um, some discussion of cognitive therapy. Yeah. And the, how, how that applies for us. The C in CBT. Yes. Yeah. So should we start with some of the history? Sure, yeah. I don't know. Thinking yeah. that's whenever we do this for a group, yeah, we talk a little bit yeah, about yeah, the yeah, history of it, so that little, might be a little bit of history. helpful. I mean, so how, how far back should we go in history? I mean, let's just go with, like, Ellis and Beck. Oh, okay. Cause, oh, yeah, because, I mean, we could go back to... I mean... You can go back to Greek and Roman mm-hmm. philosophers yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, what is the mind? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we could go to sort of psychoanalysis. That was a lot of was a lot of mind stuff and yeah. behavioral stuff. You can't catch. So yeah, let's pick it up with sixties. Um, sixties. Yeah, Ellis. Ellis in the sixties. Albert Ellis started his like rational therapy mm-hmm. idea of like thoughts being. Irrational, basically, and not, mm-hmm. not serving. And that you, you, the idea that your thoughts influence your emotions and your behavior. Mm-hmm. And, then and if you can figure out what the thoughts are, um, then you can figure out maybe how to change the emotions and behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, then yeah. kind of picked up or taken in a bit of a different direction with um, Aaron Beck. Mm-hmm. who had yeah. a very established academic community behind him, so got a lot more... Yeah, different kind like of feel, right? The credibility, yeah. Because yeah. Al- uh, Albert also published a bunch of books. Yeah, but he but didn't have like a medical school do, behind him. Yeah, he didn't, like, didn't do as much research. Yeah. Although he did do research, right? He just didn't... Maybe it wasn't applied in the same straightforward, yes. direct yeah. kind of way. Yeah, he had a much more like flair to him. Yeah, a lot, lot more personality to the mm-hmm. Albert Ellis style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Aaron Beck working with depressed mm-hmm. people, really kind of realizing that their thoughts were sometimes very inaccurate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that the having these real negative thoughts, but the thoughts didn't always line up with the situation that he would see them in. Mm-hmm. And I think sort of the one of the famous examples is seeing someone whose thoughts were saying, "I'm alone. Nobody loves me," even while his family was around him celebrating mm-hmm. so. and that we have like um, these schemas or I don't know how deep we should get into this yeah yeah the, <laughs> like this, yeah, that I the mean. world how we see the world is built upon basically mm-hmm. and these sort of what they call negative automatic thoughts these thoughts that just pop in our heads yeah. really fit along these like schemas of how we view the world ways that fit into our how we're our view of mm-hmm. how we are, how the world is, how the future will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This, we're going to talk <laughs> fairly briefly about something that has so many books written about it. There's ton, yeah. tons and tons of depth to it. So I'm trying to figure out how much detail to get into. But yeah, there, there is the three layers, right, of, cog- of cognition to cognitive therapy. Yeah. Like the surface stuff, which is the thoughts. just automatic thoughts, the thoughts that are popping in. I mean, we're not really thinking them. We're receiving these thoughts just yeah. popping in. They're automatic, which suggests we're not intentionally doing them. 
Then the next level down is the assumptions, the like if then beliefs. Like if I try something, I'm likely to fail. Mm-hmm. And then the so there's like rules, rules for okay. living, if then beliefs. Um, the next level down being the core beliefs. So the stuff that you were just getting into about what the world is like, what people are like, what I'm like. Mm-hmm. And how yeah. the future will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do you start to use this cognitive piece when you are working with clients? How does this come up? Mm. I mean, okay, so... The... We mentioned sort of the cognition stuff, like for, at least for Beck was coming up out of depression, mm-hmm. like treating depression, but then he, you know, obviously got yeah. applied, to, applied anxiety. to anxiety too. So um, I'm going to refer to it really anxiety. Sure, that's, that's what Related, we focus on. That's we focus on <laughs> what we do. So um, the cognitive piece for me, I don't know, I'm, I think it's going to be a little, maybe a little different to you. So for me, it's, um, I mean, it really, it really depends from person to person. But for everybody, we need to know what's going through their heads mm-hmm. when they're anxious, when they're worrying, when they're ruminating. What, what are, what are the thoughts? Sure. Um, I want to know kind of multiple levels because I want to know content and process. I want to know what are the thoughts that you are receiving that are coming in, and I want to know process. Like, how do you respond to those thoughts? What are you doing with them? Sure. So, are you grabbing them and getting into it, or are they just passing through? In. I'm going to guess for diagnosis wise that like mm-hmm. you pay attention to what situations tend to trigger those two or what yeah. context is. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So. Sorry. Um, Just think of like the. Yeah. The yeah. That we use. Yeah. Which, the model that you use, you think it of? Well, right. Like, I think that can help with like if these thoughts are always popping up in social situations mm-hmm. versus when my physical body is feeling something, right? Like, I think that's... Gotcha. Yeah, so I, I think of that as being kind of content. Mm-hmm. Content stuff. Um, and, and obviously, that's really important for that diagnosis because you yeah. want to know, yeah, what, you know, people come in, oh, I'm anxious. Well, what are you anxious about? Yeah. And that's going to give us a diagnosis, but when it comes to treatment, we also really want to know what are the, what are the details of what that's about. Like, How does that look for you specifically? Yeah, yeah like if, if someone's like scared about like a physical symptom, like you're mentioning, I could mean a bunch of different things. Yeah. You know, I'm scared about a physical symptom because like what if other people see it and they think that I'm weak? Mm-hmm. Or it could be, you know, I have this physical symptom and it's going to mean that I lose control and I do and I tear all my clothes off and like run out the street. Mm-hmm. Or I was going to mean I have a brain tumor and I'm going to die in six yeah, months. Or, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to have a seizure right, right now or I'm going to have a heart attack. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we, you know, I really want to figure out what is, what are the details? So I, I end up um, kind of emphasizing that identifying the thought part because you really got to know what it is. What is, you know, your threat system's turned on. What is it saying to you? What is it threatening you with? Mm-hmm. Um, because you really, you know, you've really got to define what it is before you can do anything with it. Otherwise, it just feels like, oh, all of a sudden I got really anxious and then I, you know, felt really bad or I ran away or something. Mm-hmm. We, as, as, you know, as psychologists can't really do much unless we know what the, what the belief is, what the thought is that's going on. I always remember that from, like, grad school of, like, 
details are important. Mm -hmm. Like often people want to come in and talk about in generalities and like, no, always go for the example. Yeah, give us a specific, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, last time, last time you got really anxious, what exactly happened? Mm -hmm. And and this can be helpful too, I think for, um, like just, just the act of identifying here's what was going through my head. I mean, not only does it let us figure out that, you know, how we're going to go about treating it, changing the belief, but um, a lot of times people haven't even really gone sure. gone that far. I find that so often with clients, right? When you talk about that piece of like, well, what was anxiety saying? What was it predicting? What's the catastrophe? You know, for them to identify it, that's always when I get the, I know this sounds silly, but, or mm-hmm. the kind of laugh as they're recognizing. Or, or like, now that I say it out loud, mm-hmm. I know that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was like, I guarantee you, 60 seconds ago, mm-hmm. it didn't sound silly. Mm-hmm. It was terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think the uh, identifying, putting yourself back in that position, what was going through your head. And if, and I think if you can't, if it doesn't immediately come to mind, then you can kind of, I, th- I think of it as like playing detective. Mm-hmm. It's like doing detective work. Because, um, like I always say this, you, a lot of times, thoughts are not in English. You got to translate it, you got to find some way to figure out, well, what was going through my head? I had this feeling, but like, what was the thought behind that? Mm-hmm. And you got to kind of figure out, well, how, how do I translate this? How do I put it into words? What exactly was it that I was reacting to? Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think of that as being you're being a detective you've some clues but you're poking around looking around trying to figure out what, it, what exactly was it is it is it really that I was just that I I was like oh I don't like that thing or is it no no I'm, I'm worried something's going to happen if I do that but, yeah, but what, what is it really that I'm worried is going to happen mm-hmm. is it that I'll screw up in some way I'm like yeah, kind of but you know so you're doing this detective work I'm trying to figure out what is, what is it and I tell people too like the barometer really is how your body's reacting. If, so. you, if you hit it, I feel like if, if you are getting closer, you can feel it. Mm. Like you can feel in your, in your chest. Oh, like that's that's close to it, but it's not it exactly. Um, and I think when you do hit on it, you, you feel some resonance, some emotional resonance. Yeah. yeah, and even maybe like a spike in like adrenaline levels, yeah. right? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's it. It still yeah. can cause yeah. me to have that same reaction just even thinking about it and mm-hmm. remembering it. Mm-hmm. Which is good news. Mm-hmm. Which is good news. I was thinking, if we can pinpoint it, then that's when we can start really doing something yeah. about it. Um, so yeah, so trying to translate. I think too that sometimes if someone's having trouble finding exactly what it is, then I'll ask them like, well let's just imagine what could go wrong let's think you're in this position what is the worst thing that we can think of mm-hmm. Every, everything goes everything goes to, to crap like what is what could go wrong um, and I'll tell people too because I notice sometimes that um, they're trying to be rational while I'm asking mm-hmm. because I don't, uh, they think I don't know Maybe like well, I got to give a real reason, yeah. not not this not the silly not the silly reason that I believed at the time. Yeah, irrational so I'll, reason. I'll, yeah, I'll tell people. Okay, just take your take your rational mind and yeah. put it on the side on the table. Anxiety's not rational. We're not using this when we're looking for for it your for your anxious thoughts. Yeah, we want the real weird mm-hmm. stuff that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. We don't want a rational. Oh well, I guess I could realistically be afraid of this. 
I want the real like deep stuff like what is it you're actually responding to mm-hmm. I also think it can be maybe it's not as content focused but what is anxiety telling you to do mm-hmm. you know like if I oh, go totally, home yeah. and I left work then I would it would go away and I would be safe okay so that yeah. can give us some you know and if you didn't then what would happen and you know I think what what is a way it's telling you to avoid or escape totally. and that can be some helpful totally. clues in the yeah, right direction yeah, yeah, yeah. too because anxiety, right? It's the whole point of it is to make you take take action. You know, get this feeling off of you. Do something. And so, what is it telling you that you would have to do to be safe or to get the feeling mm-hmm. to go away? Yeah. And so, so figure out what you're to avoid, and then work backwards to what is that helping protect you from? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's too. Like, I'll you know when I'm talking about externalizing anxiety, and you know, I diffusing you, the thoughts. Yeah, diffusing, for instance. <laughs> yeah. Um, so thinking about the idea of like anxiety is a you know it, it is, it's a threat system that's turned on and now it's saying all this stuff to you mm-hmm. and I'll talk about how it um there's only certain things that it can do all it can do is threaten you with something tell you what to do and then hit you with like um emotional sensations so that, that's all it's got mhm just yell at you a bunch or hit you with some feelings mm-hmm. so you, you can look at yeah like what is it threatening you with and what is it what is it telling you that you got to do mm-hmm. both of which are really useful for us now uh, should we talk then about like the threat misappraisals or the things that you know the overestimation of likelihood and the yeah. catastrophic sure, yeah, did, piece of it well did do you want to do you want to kind of tell us what you do? Because oh, sure. maybe you do more of that. So I always think of like that CBT model I always hand out, but awesome. it first starts with like the trigger, yeah. which I think of as, right? Like I personally think of that as helpful with diagnosing, but mm-hmm. I don't think there's a whole lot we do necessarily with ident- people who have a good idea of what their triggers are usually. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, more the detective work is that threat misappraisal. Like what is the catastrophe? that anxiety is predicting, what are ways in which it's overestimating the likelihood of this coming true. So, um, yeah, I talk a lot about, like, the, yeah, translating it into English, Mm -hmm. um, kind of bringing it up to the light. And I think of the purpose Mm -hmm. of doing that is really to reduce the believability in the threat. Yeah. Because there is no way anybody's going to do anything with it beyond like talk to me about it on, on this couch mm-hmm. if they believe it 100 percent, right mm-hmm. like if they think like it's saying this and it's true okay conversation is going to stop there yeah and so if we can work on like what is it saying and how mm-hmm. can we start and i think even like we've talked about before identifying it is the first step yeah in even just reducing that believability you know it doesn't take it from like when i say it out loud that i'm afraid i'm gonna I don't know, have a heart attack and die if I were to feel the feelings of the panic attack. Yeah. And when I say that out loud, that sounds silly. Um, maybe that only reduces the believability like 2%. You know, it's not going to like make a giant shift. But I think even yeah. just that is mm-hmm. a big intervention starting to identify what the fear is. Yeah. And I think that's partly by naming it, by naming it, you've identified, oh, this is it. And once you identified it, then it's not just a feeling. It's a question of like, Oh, how accurate is this? Or how useful is this? Or what do I want to do with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those the the ways of uh, the different threat misappraisals yeah. or the 
Yeah, misappraisals mis- from, uh, from that model. Cognitive therapy, how there's a whole big long list of these cognitive distortions. There's lots of different terms for getting at the same thing, like mm-hmm. threat misappraisal. Which I personally find a little overwhelming to have so many. And I think I use them in session interchangeably without always explaining that like these are synonyms, like this means the same thing. So uh-huh. yeah, I agree. Sometimes yeah. not that helpful to like call this same basic principle, you know, when you get down to the core of it, many different mm-hmm. things. But yes, there are yeah. lots of Anxiety likes themes, or mm-hmm. depression also. They like themes, right? Like, they kind of stick to similar ways of, of attacking. Okay. Um, and so, in cognitive therapy, then, they kind of categorized a bunch of these these ways of attacking, ways these automatic thoughts come at you, kind of categorized for them. So, okay. like, so like, types. Yes. Types of thoughts that, that you get. Okay. We talk about, in anxiety treatment kind of the two most common being the catastrophic thinking and the overestimation of likelihood, but there are a whole bunch of them that kind of overlap in ways too because sometimes I'll talk about them with clients and people will be like, I have all of these. Like, that's not uncommon. They're Mm -hmm. not always super distinct. Um, Should be helpful to kind of review what some of them are. If you would like to, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Which, Which ones do you do most often? I mean, definitely the overestimation of likelihood and the I do the catastrophic thinking 100% the most frequent yeah okay well yeah let's let's hear about the ones that are most how about yourself most common um I mean I I will I've got a couple of different ways I go yeah um sometimes I will do the whole the list. whole list and then sort of have people start to do that as part of part of their own homework process of figuring out what was the thought it's getting you anxious and then go through and f- name which category it's from wow. because that again that's helping it externalize yeah um externalize like diffuse from the thought mm-hmm. get distant enough to where you are going to be somewhat skeptical because you've got to like stop and pause and Look figure out which category thought. it's in mm-hmm. which keeps that distance and you know if you catch that going on it's going to make it less believable mm-hmm and you're going to be less likely to do what it says. Mm-hmm. So I sometimes will have people take the sheet home and practice doing that a couple times a week as like a homework exercise. Got it. Yeah. Um, but then in session, I'm not likely to say, hey, you're doing this. <laughs> like, and now, you, now you're doing black and white <laughs> thinking and <laughs> now you're doing whatever, whatever else the, mm-hmm. the, um, like, the lists are. I think I use it more for kind of normalizing, mm-hmm. you know, that like you are not the only per you are not the first person and you're not the last person to ever have these kind of thoughts. Yeah. And I think that to kind of start reducing some of the gotcha. shame piece that mm-hmm. can go along with. I remember Ellis saying at some point that he thought that we as humans were evolutionarily like built with these, um, these like distorted ways of thinking because they were going to be helpful in the short term. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so some of them yeah. are um, all or nothing thinking, sort of like what you said, mm-hmm. the black and white category is not really seeing a whole lot of gray. Uh, mm-hmm. This sheet here uses the example of um, a person on a diet ate a spoonful of ice cream. They told herself, I've blown my diet completely. 
mm-hmm. right? Like I can't see. Gotcha. And and to be clear, this is when you're getting these thoughts popping in, mm-hmm. and you're stopping, and, and thoughts are making you feel bad because it's linked to the thoughts and the emotion. Then you go into these categories and see, ah, oh, okay, are these are these thoughts super accurate and very helpful, or mm-hmm. could there be some sort of twisted way of thinking that is like making me feel worse Mm -hmm. so we're looking for kind of if any of these categories might pop up regularly yeah yes because yes anxiety is kind of lazy it sticks to themes right it's Mm -hmm. it it kind of comes yeah that's yeah that's true i think that's one of the usefulness of going through these and figuring out which ones you recognize because we do tend to have the same categories again and again and again yeah um, if, if you're an all or nothing person you probably do all or nothing pretty regularly yeah uh, some, our mind reading right? yeah mind reading is a big one yes that's, our... that's obviously a big one in social anxiety yeah it's a whole one. lot of like imagining oh I can I know what they're thinking I know, I know what they're thinking and it, it's There's that no I'm evidence. and it's that I'm screwing up mm-hmm. um, but yeah we are we're really not good at being able to mind read other people <laughs> and as a result like I know that there was a study on this that I really like where it's so hard to describe but essentially when you think you're mind reading and you can tell what someone's thinking it's really just what you think about yourself being projected into someone else's head yeah so it isn't telling you what they think of you it's telling you what, what you, you think, think of you, of you. <laughs> sure yeah um mental filter pick out a single negative detail and dwell on it uh-huh um for example, I use it all the time with like when depression comes up uh-huh. and talking about like, you know, I once had, I won't be too crass. I once had a supervisor say that depression was kind of like wearing feces colored glasses <laughs> as opposed to rose colored glasses. Because oh, there's that mental filtering going out. I'm only allowing uh-huh. to see the bad. The yeah. bad is the only thing I'm letting through. Uh-huh. And any of the good positive thoughts are being filtered out. Shoot. And so often with like working with depression, mm-hmm. we will on purpose counteract that mental filter by focusing on the positive on purpose, taking mm-hmm. like specific time out to focus on what, what's been going well, what are good things, because my mental filter is erasing any Got of those, you. keeping Got those you. coming through. One, one wise out of that is if someone expresses some like negative interpretation or, you know, way of understanding something... They have to stop and also give a positive one oh, before yeah. we can move on. Yeah. Because these are interpretations. Like this is the like one of the ways of explaining cognitive therapy is what makes you upset is not the events that happen, but your way of interpreting the, the events. So. Mm. Yeah. So these are these are things that might distort interpretations. Um, yeah. Oh, this one I think is really common. The emotional reasoning. Assuming that your negative emotions are necessarily re- necessarily reflect the way things really are, like I feel terrified about going on airplanes, it must be therefore very dangerous to fly. Just because sure. I feel some mm-hmm. way means that like that's a, that's, that's right. accurate, that's good accurate data. Okay. As opposed to right, there could be a whole lot of different ways of looking at something, mm-hmm. and just because you feel something doesn't mean it's necessarily true. Um, just because you feel it doesn't mean it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, this Ellis should statements, right? Uh-huh. He say that should statements were kind of at the core of most things that people struggled with. Okay. Do you find that? Um, I don't know. Oh yeah, a lot, a lot. Maybe mm-hmm. not everything. Mm-hmm. But sure, 
a lot. Yeah, I've I found it helpful like when you catch a should statement to this is I think this is more of an Ellis Albert Ellis thing of saying well it's instead of it being a should or a a must it's a oh I would prefer it mm-hmm. if this if this thing would happen not like oh I should live up to the standard and do the things like well I'd prefer it if I did that but I can handle it if I don't yeah I see this a ton in like perfectionism I guess is yeah. where I see it the most yeah um, okay so, so can I ask you you mentioned yeah. catastrophizing and overestimating mm-hmm. as being the most important ones can you can tell us tell us oh, some yeah. more detail uh, about, about catastrophizing those catastrophizing yeah. is um when you believe there's going to be some kind of horrible, terrible... I don't have a great definition here, but, like, horrible, terrible thing is going to come true. So, mm-hmm. like, a common example, right, I'm thinking, like, panic disorder. It's not that I'm having a panic attack. Mm-hmm. It's that um, I'm having, you know, an actual heart attack, and I'm going to die soon, and, right, it's a common thing for people to end up in the ER yeah. with, especially early on in panic disorder and their earlier panic attacks, because there is this belief that there's this catastrophe that's going to happen. Got you. So, yeah. It's it's not just that I'm feeling uncomfortable. Exactly. It's that I'm in great danger. Mm-hmm. Probably mm-hmm. with death. Yeah, something horrific yeah. is going so, to happen. So, if something goes wrong, it's a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Rather than, oh, this is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't like this. It's This is just the worst thing that yes. can happen. And even when I'm thinking... And that makes you anxious, right? Yeah, totally. That's, that's going to make you... If anything is interpreted as being... Anything... And so it is being catastrophic, it's going to make you anxious. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking even like in social anxiety, right? Like there's not that belief that I'm going to go to this party and look awkward, right? Mm-hmm. It's like... Yeah, I'm going to go to the party and be uncomfortable, and but I'll, it'll get better over time and yeah. I'll at least see my friend. It's not It's not thought of that way. No. Like yeah. It's often like this means no one is ever going to ask me to do anything again. I'm going to... You know, everyone's going to think I'm so weird. No one's ever going to want to talk to me. I'm going to be like alone mm-hmm. or else I'm going to do something and that's awkward and embarrassing and everyone's going to turn you know the the record will come off the scratch and then everyone will turn and look at me and laugh like and I'll be judged movie. forever yeah. and my reputation will be ruined like that's generally where that the threat system goes with that one mm-hmm. so uh, and then the overestimation of likelihood I was love this one like not maybe, mm-hmm. not even 75% that catastrophe is going to come true, but like 100% yeah. it is coming true. Mm-hmm. And I think that one's helpful because the automatic piece of it, right? It's not that I'm sitting there like figuring out the yeah. math. Of like, what, what, what are yeah, the percentages it, of this actually it just happening? Feels, it just goes it to like, feels really likely. Like you're acting as though it's really likely mm-hmm. because it feels really strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think for, I don't know, the um, you mentioned flying phobia. That's such a sure clear example. Yes. Because you could tell somebody the percentages and that's when maybe like some another one we didn't talk about here, but like magical thinking might come mm-hmm. true, right? Like might come into play that um, I'm gonna be the one, right? Like the statistics yeah, happens, are one in sometimes, however right? many million flights it's gonna happen it would happen. Somebody. I'm gonna be the one. Yeah. When it happens. Yeah, but but in general I think what we're looking for is like over overestimating like are you treating it as though it's really likely whereas it's maybe sometimes it's just categorically not going to happen mm-hmm. but a lot of the time it's like yeah okay we can't rule it out like the flight piece yeah we, we can't we can't say it's definitely Zero. not going to happen but is it is it low enough that it's worth trying it it's out worth it, yeah and, and the part of the way I think about it and I'll, I'll ask this pretty regularly like is the 
is the threat high enough that you should change what you're doing? Or is this threat, is it there, but you should just keep on going? Mm -hmm. Because for anything we want to do in life, there's some level of risk and threat. It doesn't mean we should avoid every single thing. Sure. We decide, is that threat level high enough that I should change my behavior and protect myself in some way? Sure. Well, this makes me think of like OCD, right? Uh Where that's one of the humongous pieces of it is like intolerance of risk and thinking Mm -hmm. that the risk is much higher than it actually is or better safe than sorry because there is a risk i shouldn't i shouldn't expose myself to any kind of risk yeah and so often what we're working with there is like okay you can live in a bubble and not have a life or accept that there is risk in life and Mm -hmm. take some of the risk to move forward in the service of living life you want to live totally like i have found with this kind of stuff too if you again you stop and you go, okay, I'm feeling, I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling upset. You stop and you figure out, what is it that my threat system is telling me? Like, what is it threatening me with? What is it telling me is going to go horribly wrong? And you figure it out and then I encourage look for this. Like, what I'm, I'm feeling like some terrible thing is going to happen. What do I feel is the likelihood of that happening? Mm-hmm. And then stop and go, is there a chance that I'm overestimating? this because you know anxiety is is doing its job it's trying to trying to have you avoid dangers but it's built to overestimate mm-hmm. that's why this happens is threat systems a better safe and sorry system it's built to overestimate we know that it's going to do this if you're anxious so look and go like well how how likely is this really to happen and yeah if it's if it is really likely to happen then yeah protect yourself but if it's not then this is going to sound a little weird if it's not then I want people to not reward the threat system for kicking in at the wrong time meaning like don't do what it says yeah don't do what it says if you do what it says then you're basically patting on the head and saying thank you threat system for kicking in here you you're doing a good job keep doing it yeah this catastrophe is real and it was definitely going to happen yeah and then what's going to happen is it's going to pop up again in that bigger, same situation louder. next time. It's going to be a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And so you'll be thinking, do I, want to, do I want to give it the message of you're doing a great job, please keep doing this? Or do you want to send it a message of this is you're overreacting here. I'm going to ignore you and treat what you're saying as not important so you know next time to be less sensitive. Well, kind of what we're already talking about then mm-hmm. is cognitive restructuring. Yeah. So yeah, so we should... Tell us about yeah. cognitive restructuring then, yeah. So I think of that like the next kind of natural step in doing CBT work when you're working in the cognition level. So, um, so wait, you're saying you move from identifying thoughts to then restructuring them? <laughs> that is a natural step, yes. <laughs> um, that, right, we want to start reducing the believability. That's how. That's what I think of as the yeah. whole point of cognitive restructuring, okay. is reducing the believability in that thread, as you say, or catastrophe mm-hmm. or fear or whatever gotcha, yeah. um, because since we'll get to this later we sort of think of this as like all about exposure like yeah. nobody's doing exposure if they believe in this yeah. threat right like nobody is mm-hmm. and so if we can That's really true, work right? yeah. to reduce how strongly you believe in this mm-hmm. then you are more likely to say okay I'll test it out yeah. okay I guess I could try tolerating it for a bit gotcha yeah so so if if you can bring down the 
I guess, believability, believability in how likely it is. So you bring down that overestimation. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you look at the yeah. catastrophizing part. Yes. So we cognitive restructuring is identifying, yes, those negative automatic thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then there are a lot of different ways of doing it. Um, I think the ones I do most commonly are some challenging thoughts. Mm-hmm. That's like evidence against, you know, the threat being real, gotcha. quote unquote real, uh-huh. um, or that the estimation is accurate. Um, and alternative thoughts. So what could be some other explanations? Or what would other people say in this situation? Or what would you tell totally. a friend yeah. in this situation? Um, I even use, often use like historical examples. When in your life has this not been true? Mm-hmm. Like evidence against it, disputing thoughts. And then a big one I love to use is like, how would you cope? Let's say yeah. it came true. I think this is the most helpful piece in cognitive restructuring is like... Right. How bad okay. would it be and yeah. what would you do? As opposed to ways you're safe, you're safe, it's okay, yeah. you're safe. Okay, let's say it happens. Let's say it comes true. Let's say worst case scenario is there. Yeah. What do we do next? That's... I, I, I feel like when we do work on this, I find that all the time, I agree with you, that you can do all this work on reducing the overestimations down to like, okay, I now believe it's only like a... 10% chance this would happen. But it would still but be I'm still anxious about happened. that. I'm still going to mi- micro-focus on that 10% mm-hmm. chance and how bad it would be if that did happen. Yes. And, like, I feel like, I feel like there's two from, I don't know about a few, but from, I can't think of any examples right now, but my own life, I'll be, I'll notice if I'm getting anxious about something, I will go through and I'll figure out the percentage likelihood that... I do not be, do that. Really? Okay. So no. I do this. And that, that it'll actually happen and I'll... I'll kind of override and be like okay it's pretty slim chance it'll happen but then you know my system just goes right back to sure. but how bad would it be if it did yeah. if that percentage does happen you can't disprove 100% this is ever going to happen yeah. so to me it's useful it creates the gap but yeah I, yeah do, I do find that going to the actual okay let's assume it does happen how bad would it be what would you do well and I think that's the step when people are like seeking reassurance from friends and family members Mm -hmm. and Google and all the things right like that's the step that it doesn't do it will do the like oh it's not very likely Mm -hmm. or it wouldn't you know whatever like it wouldn't really come true or this is reasons why it wouldn't happen um Right, like friends and family members, and all. Yeah, know, you've got nothing to be anxious about. Yeah, that, and so nothing to worry about. There, that's a really dad therapy. It, it doesn't work dad well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's a really unique piece about starting to do like CBT. Is like, okay, yeah, let's say it happens. I've had. I can't tell you how many clients I've had that have said that. Like, wow, I feel a lot better actually having explored this. And yes, it felt terrible, but mm-hmm. you know, like my partner or whatever, like. They just, they always tell me it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, and that never actually makes me feel all that much better. That's, that is my experience too. It's that, it's that going through, okay, let's say it happens. Yeah. How bad would it be? Yeah. What would what, you do? What, what exactly, would it look like? Yeah, what exactly would happen? Give me what happened next. Mm-hmm. What would happen after that? Mm-hmm. What would happen after that? Follow it through all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, what would you, what, what would you do to cope? Which is kind of like a mini exposure it's, sort it's, of. it's like an imaginal exposure right mm-hmm. yeah it's like going all the way through it yeah it's, it's probably why I like it better too <laughs> <laughs> probably why it feels most effective yeah. yeah you're facing the danger um but I think those are like the right like the steps mm-hmm. in 
cognitive restructuring at least is like yeah and then what is the outcome right like that's mm-hmm. that's what in cognitive restructuring they want to know yeah. after you went through this process of identifying the thought mm-hmm. working to challenge and change evidence against all those good things mm-hmm. um now how do you feel right yeah because you should feel better afterwards and i, I guess I don't always see that, mm-hmm. and that's why I think of more of the believability piece is because I don't always have people, after we went through it, they're like, oh, I feel done better. Yeah. It's, they're still anxious, right? Like, they still but feel like... They're going to be more diffused from that's their what thoughts, it is. right? They're going to yeah. be more... It's easier to see that the thought is a thought. Yes, yeah. Rather than the thought is reality, right? Connections. I know, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that, I really think it does. It reduces that believability in this threat or, like, yeah, mm-hmm. how close and true that threat is mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of sets them up for the next step <laughs> well, in so, what we do. <laughs> so it's a funny thing for me. The, like, you go through that, right, and then it's reducing the believability. And I know the, con- the sort of, I think, maybe the hardcore cognitive therapists, they're more thinking, well... The point of it is not to disprove it, but maybe to, like, find a new alternative thought that you might gather evidence for or believe more. Um, And, I don't know, I I feel like when when I first came across cognitive therapy, it was kind of presented as though it's just challenging thoughts and everyone's being unrealistic about in their thoughts and you need to challenge it and then once you've challenged it. it, you know... They'll, they'll, it'll be rational afterwards and then everything's everything's good and I think the, that's not actually how it is and, and I'm sure it's not actually how cognitive therapists sure. are right, either it's more, it's more like how it's presented but yeah. for me the where this goes and I think you'll be on board with this too is you do all that stuff to get some distance from it not believe it so much kind of have a little bit of a plan of what you would do um, but then it's action time yeah. <laughs> and then you gotta do something you can't just well I talked about this thing so now it's good and I think that's the part that's already not as um, not as like understood or promoted or something as part of cognitive therapy but for Beck he said there were two two halves of cognitive therapy one was the restructuring so- Socratic challenging mm-hmm. stuff the other half was doing behavioral experiments which was cognitive therapy's way of taking behavior therapy's exposure and kind of fitting it into their model. Mm-hmm. And he saw that as being just as important. Yeah. But it gets so much less press. Yes. Even though I personally think it's way more useful. Because you're kind of identifying the components of going into it and mm-hmm. testing it out specifically. Yeah. So, so, yeah. And so that's kind of the real short version because we will obviously do podcasts on this stuff too. Since, honestly, most of my exposures I do as behavioral experiments. But the idea would be you're doing this, this cognitive stuff you find in the thoughts. You, you're uh, seeing how likely it is. And then maybe thinking of an alternative one. But then you don't stop there and go, okay. You then test it out. Yeah. You then go and specifically do experiments to see whether that old belief is true or whether, whether the, the new belief might be more true but I think right like we all talk and believe that exposure is sort of the key right Mm -hmm. and like behavior therapists would say yes this is what we need to be focusing on is strictly like the behavior is the piece Mm -hmm. that gets you to change but like I said I think that the cognitive piece is super 
important because nobody's doing it. Nobody's yeah, going to go do the thing if mm-hmm. they believe that belief so strongly. Gotcha, yeah. Which which in my model is like it sort of it gives you a little bit more distance from, from the threat system so you can hear what it's telling you to do and mm-hmm. what it's threatening you with without, Cause I would without say buying into it as much. I've had the experience and I'm assuming you have too. I just think probably we all have. Um, as CBT psychologists of trying to get people to do exposures before they're ready or bigger exposures than they're ready to do. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, because, right, there's still this belief piece with it. Totally, yeah. And so that's an indicator for me, like, we either need to, like, take a smaller step in the exposure or mm-hmm. we need to go back and look at some, what are some of these beliefs or what are the what is it that the negative automatic thought is screaming at you? What's totally. anxiety yeah. saying to you that gotcha. is really hooking you or really engaging you? So, so you... That must mean you you do cognitive stuff really early. You start really early with cognitive stuff. I do. Yeah. You don't? No, I do. Oh. Yeah. I do. Because, yeah, I... Yeah, I think that that's sort of the... Yeah. And because I think of, like, us as humans, we want to, like, understand, like, what's going on? Why is this happening? Mm -hmm. Why is my brain thinking this way and so getting to have sort of an understanding of what your thoughts are um why this happens right like why do i think that silly thing like it's automatic yeah. <laughs> you're not getting a choice yeah, you're not choosing you're receiving the thought you're mm-hmm. not sending it out it's like yeah. right like with my dog we didn't do cbt <laughs> we yeah. just did behavior therapy yeah. um but like as humans we have this frontal cortex we want to and keep that as a that's important to us like we mm-hmm. want to understand things and we want to understand our beliefs and why we're doing things mm-hmm. and really think that our beliefs are important and that's the motivation for why we do things even though right like rational thought is a very small piece of why we do things but we like to think that we are very rational beings who mm-hmm. have a good understanding of why we do things and so I think this this is a helpful part in that seems seems reasonable to me um I think we're good Seems like it, yeah. Um, so, takeaway, summary? Yeah. So, mine is... L- let me think. <laughs> I hate this part, too. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's important. It's, it's like a test, but yeah. Well, it's, it's like, it's like what, what would I want people to like remember from, from this stuff? Because, you know, just we know from, from the learning research, you're going to forget most of it. So. Mm-hmm. What if we do a little summary? You're more likely to hang on to that summary. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think it is that whenever you're feeling upset, there is a thought in there that's going on that's, that is, will tell you why you're upset. And we are built so that the thoughts that make us upset are generally not super accurate if you can get in there and figure out what the thought is and step back enough to question whether it's accurate then you might find a whole lot more room to maneuver in that situation sure yeah sounds yeah. good yeah can that be good enough for both of us what's that <laughs> do I have to do one too you can do yours too yeah I, I think whoever goes first gets a gets a yeah <laughs> I mean, the thing also, too, you know, threat system throws a bunch of, you know, gets anxious and, you know, yeah. sends you all this stuff. And then you got to get, you, you got to realize it's just the threat system turning on. It doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. It just means your threat system's engaged 
and it's kicking in all these defensive maneuvers. Yeah. I also think a big piece is the just automatic thought piece of mm-hmm. it, right? Like, yeah. we have a lot, a ton of our thoughts are not things we're choosing rationally mm-hmm. or consciously to have, that they are just coming at us all the time. Yeah. And um, I think it's really helpful when they are kind of dysfunctional thoughts to start to identify specifically, get as specific as possible. What is it saying? What is it predicting? What am I so afraid of? What is anxiety saying is going to happen? And I think that is like, if anything, that first step is probably the biggest step. I I reckon that's the biggest one too. Yeah. I think that's a game changer. Once you can start to see that like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, like I'm having these thoughts and it's, influencing all the stuff that I'm doing and I, I didn't even know specifically yeah, why or what, what it, was, it was yeah I just noticed myself getting upset or avoiding things and mm-hmm. that's why and once you start with that then in cognitive therapy you can start to work to challenge and change mm-hmm. those thoughts and work on mm-hmm. reducing believability hopefully in the service of being able to change your behaviors do some stuff later. You do. Yeah. <laughs> sounds good well, thanks for listening. And yeah, feel free to send us questions or stuff you want to talk about. Yeah. You want us to talk about. Well, see you soon. Yeah, bye-bye.